Good morning to everybody. I'm used to talking to you all a little bit before this moment, so it's good to, I've had to keep my mouth closed for a while, which isn't easy, right? I want to extend a special welcome to you, our guest. I'm Monica Lewis. I'm the minister to children, students, and families. And if there are guests out there, I'd like to welcome you as well. For, for you over there, I basically, Rick is my boss, and I sign what he tells me to sign. And I think about you and pray about you. And we are super glad that you all are here. And I'm also proud of you. I know that we have six Eagle Scouts this year, which is, I think, the most since I've been here, which is pretty awesome. Are any of those... Eagle Scouts here, are they all too tired from their Eagle projects that they're at home resting? Well, I just want to acknowledge that we do have six of them, Mitch Roach, Teddy Lovelace, Tommy Davis, Henry Heese, Henry White, and Jack Murphy. I hope I didn't butcher their names, but if I did, they're not here, so you don't have to tell them, right? So we're glad you're here. I'm glad to see all of you here this morning, too. So this this, uh, may sound a little weird, or it may also sound a little awesome depending on where your sensibilities lie, right? But um, my five-year-old daughter is a huge Billy Joel fan, like huge Billy Joel fan. Not sort of like she kind of knows Uptown Girl Billy Joel fan, but like she knows the 1970s live version of Always a Woman on the first note kind of fan, right? This seems a little unique, right? I think it seems a little unique. I mean, I know my child is exceptional, just like all of your children are exceptional. That's what we do, right? But I do think that this has, there's something a little special to this. So a few months ago, um, I, I let Ellie Kate watch Billy Joel videos as I'm pushing the grocery cart along in the grocery store. I'm at Aldi. I love Aldi. So I'm pushing my grocery cart along in Aldi, and she's sitting in the big portion of it, and I'm letting her watch videos. And does anybody know the, uh, the 1982, and it sounds very 1982, Billy Joel hit Pressure? With a really, I got a couple hands raised, really synthesized orchestra, yeah. And so it's playing, and she's cranking it up as we're strolling along in the, in the cart. And she starts singing it at the top of her lungs, like, pressure, as we're going through Aldi. And this woman looks at me, and I kind of like, you know, make eye contact with her and, and smirk a little bit. And she just says, I'm sorry, but how in the, did that happen? And I said, your guess is good as mine. I just kind of looked at her and laughed and shrugged my shoulders. It's a great question. Here's how, it, here's how it started. A couple years ago for my birthday, my husband had given us, um, our family, tickets to go see Billy Joel. Now, I'm not like a huge Billy Joel fan. I like him, um, but I like to go to concerts. And more importantly, I like to take my daughter to concerts that she probably won't get to see when she's an adult, right? So this was kind of one of my bucket list concerts to take her to. So in preparation, we started listening to Uh, one collection of Billy Joel's greatest hits for our then three-year-old daughter to kind of learn some of the songs. And now, I don't know if you all sitting over here will remember this, but back in the day, greatest hits album used used to be like chronological. So you'd go buy these things called CDs or tapes for some of you or records or, you know, you can keep going. And, And these CDs would be like Billy Joel's greatest hits, 1972 to 1979, right? So we just happened to have one that kind of fell in the mid to late 70s. So that's really, she's more of an expert in that area uh, when it comes to his catalog, right? So we're, we're listening to these songs, we're preparing for the concerts, and really what we didn't know that was we were creating a bit of a monster for ourselves. Over the last two years, Fro- the Frozen soundtrack and Taylor Swift's 1989 have been our only escape from Billy Joel in my car. 
and I'm serious. That well, and Christmas music. We got a little Christmas music going on in there. But otherwise, it's all Billy Joel all the time in my car. So the other day, Ellie Kate and I were at home, and Johnny was working, and I was getting ready. I, I needed to get in the shower, and she was playing downstairs. And so I turned on Amazon Prime downstairs. I'll, I'll give you one guess what, what playlist I put on for her. Billy Joel's Greatest Hits, that's right. Turned it on. I go upstairs to take a shower, and I tell her, if you need anything, you can come upstairs, and you can talk to me. I'll be in the shower, right? So as I'm getting in the shower, I'm pretty sure I hear kind of a muffled rendition of Piano Man, because, uh, you know, that falls in the proper time period. A proper rendition of Piano Man playing as I got in the shower, and everything seemed pretty normal. I heard some clinking of toys. And, but in my house, it's nearly impossible. If you're in the upstairs bathroom, like all you people up there in the balcony, if you're in the upstairs bathroom at my house, you really can't hear talk or activity happening downstairs unless you're, like, really trying to hear it. So I'm in the shower just long enough, of course, to get my hair totally full of shampoo. And when I get my hair totally shampooed, I hear her voice, but I can't really tell what she's saying. And so... I yell, Ellie-Kate, I can't hear you. You're going to have to come upstairs, and you're going to have to talk to Mom. I can't hear you. But she clearly doesn't understand that either. And so I say it again. I can't really hear you. You're going to have to come upstairs. And, and I hear her yelling something back. So I turn the water off. I open the door and stick my head out, and I say, I can't hear you. Come upstairs and talk to me. Then there was no response. So I thought, all right, everything's fine. We don't, want, we don't have the energy to come upstairs. Turn the water back on rinsing my hair, and then I hear it. I hear this blood-curdling scream. And you all know the kind of scream I'm talking about. Like, your heart starts palpitating and just racing, and all of these thoughts are going through your head, and your, your kind of breathing pattern changes a little bit. I rushed out of the shower. I grabbed a towel. The water's still running. I drip water all the way through my bathroom, all the way through my bedroom, all the way through the hallway, and I get to the stairs, and she's still screaming, and I said, Ellie Kate, what is wrong? And she screams, blood curdling, Mom, what fire song is this? I've never heard this song. (laughs) Because we didn't start the fire is from 1989. So she didn't know it, but it warranted a blood-curdling scream. So it turns out that we didn't start the fire. One of the few songs that she doesn't know, because it is newer, she wants to know about the song. What's it mean? What's this fire about? What's he talking about? So after I had my moment of patience losing, called her upstairs, yelled at her to come and talk about the appropriate use of a blood-curdling scream, in case you're wondering, Billy Joel never warrants it. I tried telling her that we didn't start the fire is about life and it's about the world and that things are always changing and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad, but regardless, the world is still turning. And whatever that means to a five-year-old, I'm not even sure I understand it. So then I did what most of us do after I got properly dried off and cleaned off. I went to Wikipedia, right? Because Wikipedia tells me how to talk to my five-year-old when I don't know how to talk to her. So in case you didn't know, Billy Joel got the idea for We Didn't Start the Fire when he's in the recording studio with Sean Lennon and one of Sean Lennon's friends who is just turning 21. Sean is the son of John Lennon, by the way. And Sean's 21-year-old friend says to him... Man, 1989 is a terrible time to be 21. 
And Billy Joel says, yeah, I remember when I was 21. You know, I thought it was an awful time. We had Vietnam and, you know, we had drug problems and civil rights problems and everything just seemed to be so awful. And their friend replied, yeah, 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 but it's different for you. You were a kid in the 50s and everybody knows that nothing happened in the 50s. And then Billy retorted, wait a minute. Didn't you hear of the Korean War or of the Suez Canal crisis? And it was those headlines and it was that conversation that was the impetus for his song. You know the song. Does anybody here want to come up and sing it? I, I told the last service I'd give. We got somebody. I told the last service I'd give him 10 bucks, but I really don't have 10 bucks. So are you a huge Billy Joel fan? I love it. So here's how it goes. I won't put you on the spot, but if you want to sing it to me later, I'll give you five bucks maybe. I don't have that either. Yeah. So it goes, we didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire. No, we didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. You're welcome. That's going to be in your head for at least the rest of the day, probably the rest of your week. And you know, in 2017, sometimes it's really hard for me to see that we didn't start the fire. Or to believe at least that the last couple of political seasons didn't explode this fire into something that is at least a full-blown five-alarm fire. You know, I live in a world, we live in a world of 24-hour news cycles. We do. There's just always something that someone is telling me I should be angry about or be scared of or something that someone is complaining about or complaining and angry that the people who are complaining and angry about stuff are doing it, right? And our social media feeds, do you remember back in the good old days when they used to be full of, like, pictures of people's breakfast and cat videos? I don't even care if you like cat videos. That's what social media used to be. But now it's become one giant and one hollow echo chamber for sharing and for liking and for telling me why I should be angry because the fire, the fire... The fire is burning and it's so big and it's so bright and we have to put it out. And then soon it feels like we might be doing something like maybe we started to put this out and then we have to switch our focus because there's something else. There's another fire. There's something else. Listen, I care about the fires. I worry about things. I'm worried about all of the people on Jesus's list that Glenn just read earlier I'm worried about how lazy sometimes I feel like the church in America is about looking for them, myself included. And today, I'm worried for refugees, specifically family members of the Syrian refugee families that our church supports, that our church welcomed at the airport, that our church cleaned their home and put food in their refrigerators and stocked their, their homes with toilet paper, and things that you need when you're coming and you're starting from scratch. I'm worried about those people and their families. I'm worried for immigrants. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to get into our collective business, but I guess I kind of am because isn't that what Jesus is always doing to all of us? You know, if, if we are Bible-believing Christians, and I think that most of us here are, And if we're not, you're welcome here too. But for those of us here who are Bible-believing Christians, if we aren't taking time to learn about the refugee conversation and to learn about what the Bible teaches us for the care of refugees, then we need to. I mean, the Southern Baptist Convention, and y'all, they are not at all on the liberal side, are up in arms about this. And when the Southern Baptist Convention and the Catholic Church, which represents a broad spectrum of beliefs, And the liberal Christian Protestants, when they all agree on something, we better listen. 
and we better pray. I don't know about you, but um, when I picture Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which he opens with this list that we read with the Beatitudes, I see the Monty Python scene in my head. Who knows what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you can see this Monty Python scene of Jesus giving, starting the Sermon on the Mount, right? For those of you who don't know, I'm sorry. Um, maybe you don't like Monty Python humor, but you're going to get a little bit of it anyway. So in that scene, there are hundreds and hundreds of people kind of packed around Jesus as he's delivering his Sermon on the Mount. And in what he says, they're all kind of trying to listen because they can't hear very well. And this one person, this spectator says, I think it was blessed are the cheesemakers. And then somebody says, ah, what was so special about cheesemakers? And then the the guy next to her says, well, obviously, it's not meant to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturers of dairy products. (laughs) That's the scene that I picture when I see this. But the reality is that Jesus was only talking to the disciples, that in Matthew's gospel, he, he breaks away from the crowds and he goes up, up the hill or up the mountainside and he sits down and then the disciples all come to him. And he's talking to them and he's not giving them instructions on how to live. This isn't like Moses delivering the Ten Commandments, but he, he is telling them, these are the people who are blessed. This also isn't, this isn't an opening for an inaugural address, although we did this to it. This is Jesus talking to a small group of people about who they are. This was spoken directly to the disciples, maybe with the intent that they would go and teach that. And likely that's what happened because, hey, look, we're all sitting here, right? Somebody taught us this. But Matthew's gospel wasn't speaking to anyone on the outside of the church. And, you know, the church today, I think we're all just giving this headspace and this thought to politicians and Congress and people who voted differently than us, whatever that vote was, whichever side we're on. I value the political process, and I think that we have a moral and a biblical obligation to participate. In fact, I couldn't sleep last night because I value that process so completely. Whatever you're concerned about, whether you have a D on your voter registration card or an R on your voter registration card, whether you're worried about the death penalty or war or peace or civil rights or marriage equality or refugees or whatever side of the abortion debate you're on or farmers and agriculture or jobs for rural Americans, they, those people, are all on this list because the fire is always burning. You know, what was revolutionary about Jesus was his approach to this fire. In the first century, groups from his tradition had tried military opposition, what they felt were opponents. They were trying to get opponents out of their way. They tried this faithfulness of partnering with kings and letting the kings influence them, hoping that, in turn, they could influence the king to their understanding. And, you know, that's probably what was happening at this time. They were just trying to get something done like that. But neither of those options really worked because the military power of just a few rebel Hebrews was nothing compared to Rome and the priests who tried to partner with kings who wound up protecting their own interests like once we get to the top, so many of us do. This is why Jesus' list, these Beatitudes, this is why this primary sermon was so revolutionary because it wasn't preached at kings or at countries, or at nationalities. It was an exclusive sermon, and it was preached at Jesus' disciples, many of who were on the bottom of the heap and on this list themselves. 
This list is, in its context, Jesus' way of saying, the revolution, my kingdom, it will not start with kings, it will not start with palaces or White Houses or Congress, it will start with you. Now, I'm giving you power to make things right, he says, and I'm believing that you're going to do it. Now, I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time looking up for all the answers. Isn't that what we do? Isn't that why most of us are either really worried or really elated right now? Because we're looking up to see what's going to happen. We look to the top. And that perverted understanding of power is totally backward. It's totally antithetical to Jesus' thought. And what, in fact, Jesus comes to tell us in this scripture, in the entire gospel, is not a top-down mentality, but he flips it like he flips things always. But it's from the bottom up. Because Jesus shows the disciples and us that our tendency to look up for God rather than looking down, that there's another way. Jesus keeps trying to show us a better way, and, you know, still we keep stumbling. So last night as I was watching Twitter, because that's what I do, I watch Twitter happen, right? And trying to process all the individual stories and the pictures of a small number of families that had been reunited and um, after being in detention in our country's airports, I opened Facebook. And I didn't read anybody's posts. I went on a mad hunt, actually, for a post I remember from a couple months ago. This post was the most life-giving social media exchange I have ever experienced. Do you remember middle school? Who remembers middle school? Who is in middle school? Can you raise your hand? Who's in middle school? Who is in high school? Who remembers middle school or high school? Yes. And this is an A and a B. Um, you get A and B. Was it awesome or was it kind of dreadful? Most people are going to say kind of dreadful. The people who were going to say awesome, you made it dreadful for everybody else, right? <laughs> I can say that because I'm pretty sure I was one of those people. But I looked for this, Facebook's, this Facebook post. My friend, her name is Erin Hillier, and she's hilarious, and she's brilliant, and she's beautiful, and she's a mom now, and she works in higher education, and she's a belly dancer, which if you'd have known Erin Hillier in middle school, you would have never thought she was a belly dancer. She's opening up, in fact, her uh, a belly dancing studio in Overland Park soon, so if you're interested in getting into belly dancing, I can hook you up. But in middle school, the name Erin Hitler... That's where I'm going with it. The name Aaron Hillier sounded a lot like urine Hitler for bullies, right? And so Aaron posts kind of tongue-in-cheek um, about remembering this. She remembered people all through middle school calling her urine Hitler, right? And then came this, like, deluge of comments on her Facebook post. She, she had all these posts from people whose names I had not thought of since I was in middle school, names that I didn't even know were on Facebook or I, I had no connection to them. People were sharing on this thread stories of regret or their experience in middle school and high school. They were sharing how beautiful life is on this side of all the drama of adolescence because let me tell you, it gets better. And people were also apologizing. People were apologizing to each other and people were being empathetic. It was actually incredible for Facebook. I, I got to give it to him. So I want you to hear this, middle schoolers and high schoolers. Hear this, college students and young adults and Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts and Eagle Scouts. You all have a voice. You may have to talk a little louder or you may have to talk a little longer to be heard, and that is not fair. 
but it is what it is. But your voice is always there. And I want you to use it now, and I want you to use it tomorrow, and I want you to use it later, and I want you to stand up for what you believe is right. Stand up for the ones who you may feel pressure to bully, or the ones who you may feel pressure to treat as if they're less than, or if you're one of those who are treated as less than, I want you to remember the scripture that Glenn read today. Put it on your locker door, write it in your binder, text it to each other, put a note on your phone, remember it somehow. And when you can't remember that scripture, I have a friend named Elizabeth who wrote a poem that I want you to hear because I think she really gets it. I think she understands what Jesus meant when he told his disciples who was and who still is inheriting the kingdom of God. Elizabeth, would you please come up here and recite your poem for us? When I grow up, I want people to know my name. I want to show the world what I can do. I want people to listen when I speak. Failing is a part of life. Trying again is what I seek. If you have a dream, don't just sit there. Gather courage to believe that you can succeed and leave no stone unturned to make it a reality. When I grow up, I'll show them who I am. And when they push me down, I'll stand back up and then they'll know who I am. When they call me names, when they laugh at my ideas, I'll tell them this. When I grow up, you'll see what I've done. When you see me on TV, you'll be stunned. You'll remember that girl that never gave up. That'll be me, you see. I'll be wearing the crown. You'll be picking up trash. I'll be in the rich town while you're running out of cash. I'll be speaking the truth while you're telling white lies. I'll sneak up behind and catch you by surprise. You think you're so clever that there's no rain in the weather, that you can do whatever, think you'll never say never. Life isn't a present wrapped with a bow. Reminds me sort of of Despero, a mouse big ears who had a big dream. I'm not a mouse, but that's who I want to be. You want to be a dancer. You want to cure cancer. I want to be me. That is my answer. When I grow up, I'm going to be a star. I don't want to be like you. I don't care what I do. I just want to be me. That's the best I can be. And when the temperature drops below negative 70 and I'm feeling low and I'm covered in black snow, I could just stay there and stare at the ground. I could watch as they frowned. But when I raise my head, when I stand up tall, they're all going to be astounded. That's who I am. I'm me. And when I grow up, that's who I want to be.